as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we're going to be talking about the one and only sport in the wizarding world, Quidditch. (laughs) Um, And just to let you guys know, a lot of this information is coming from Quidditch Through the Ages by Kenilworthy Wisp or J.K. Rowling, really. Um... So yeah, if you have a copy, you might know kind of a lot of this information already, but we're going to highlight some things from that book and then just talk about Quidditch as a game. So before we really start on the content of this episode, um, <laughs> Quidditch Through the Ages has kind of just some fun little tidbits in it in the beginning. Um, so when you buy it, it's like supposed to be the copy from the Hogwarts library and it has like library books don't have this anymore because they just have like the barcodes and stuff but it has the like name of the person who checked it out and the date it was due back and like the first person that checked it out was ron weasley and someone wrote in and after his name stinks and then you see who like returned it late it was overdue and then neville checked it out and then susan bones um, and it says, is great. I don't know if that's about Neville or Yeah, Susan it looks Bones. like it could be either. And these are all, like, handwritten in. And then Hermione checked it out. And then Padma Patil, Ernie McMillan. Millicent Is Bolstrode. that Millicent? Yeah. Millicent Bolstrode. Hermione again. And Draco Malfoy. And there's, like, a warning about not damaging the book from Irma Pince, the librarian. Somebody played tic-tac-toe. And then, like, the praise for it, like, the um, reviews of it are from, like, Bethil the Bagshot, the editor, and then the editor of which Broomstick, Brutus Scrimgeour, who... I assume. Presumably is related to Rufus. Yeah. Um, Gilderoy Lockhart, the one from Ludo Bagman is my favorite. It says, bet you can't, bet you anything it'll be a bestseller. Go on, I bet you. <laughs> and then there's one from Rita Skeeter that says, I've read worse. I was looking at the dates that these are due. You cannot check a book out from the library for very long because Hermione Granger checked it out and was due the 2nd of May, and then Draco Malfoy checked it out and it was due the 5th of May. (laughs) Well, maybe Hermione returned it really early. I guess, yeah. It's weird that Harry's not on this at all. Yeah. Well, did he have his own copy? He did. I I don't know. Did he? (laughs) I feel like he gets, like, a couple Quidditch books throughout the series. Yeah. I think, yeah. Maybe that that's a present for him. Um, and Dumbledore's note has, like, the foreword about how it's, like, a very loved book. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yep. Okay. So... Um, first section here, I'm going to talk about the creation of Quidditch. So the book breaks this down into a few different chapters, um, starting with how the broomstick itself as like a flying mode of transportation evolves. Um, so as we know, there's no spell for humans to fly unaided. Um, although 
this presumably was printed before everyone knew that Voldemort could fly. So I'm thinking that maybe Voldemort created one or somehow he developed a way to fly unaided and then taught Snape. Um, brooms were chosen as objects for flying because they're very discreet and easy to hide from muggles uh, because it talks about how when wizards would want to hide something like if a muggle came searching in their house or like saw the broom when it wasn't flying like there wouldn't be any suspicion um, that it was anything more than just a normal broom and then um, it says that European witches and wizards used flying broomsticks as early as 962 AD. It also talks about how it's strange that like European witches and wizards didn't adopt the flying magic carpet um, as their like fellow witches and wizards in the East did. So kind of a nod to Aladdin. <laughs> Um, and the first brooms were very uncomfortable. It says they were a thick, knotty handle of unvarnished ash with hazel twigs bound crudely to one end. And so um, eventually the brooms became more comfortable and that was when um, they were used more for like actual transportation and like flying for pleasure as opposed to just like when needed. Um, and they were made more comfortable and better with wizards becoming like specialized broom makers around the 12th century. And the cushioning charm was invented in 1820 by Elliot Smethwick. And he is the one, so he invented the cushioning charm. Um, and that's what made it like, so they were actually able to fly brooms and not be in pain. I think Hermione uses that charm um, when they're falling at Gringotts maybe? Is that when it is? Is that the cushioning charm, or is that just the, like... That's the same thing that, like, Dumbledore does to stop Harry from dying when he's, like, falling off his broom, right? Well, I think... But I feel like she does use the cushioning charm at some point. Doesn't Dumbledore just, like, slow Harry down? Oh. I have no... I don't think it's ever super clear what Dumbledore does, but... Oh, wait. Yep, you're right. During the break-in of Gringotts Bank, Hermione Granger used this charm to protect Harry, Ron, Griphook, and herself in an imperious Bogrod when the mine cart in which they were riding derailed after passing through the thief's stone. Because, like, in the movie, she does that thing where they, like, I think they stop, like, right above the ground. Yeah. But I think in yeah. the book, she actually uses the cushioning charm. Yep. In Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, <laughs> Hermione instead uses the slowing charm to slow the trio's fall. So that is... The slowing charm maybe is what um, Dumbledore does. Dumbledore used, although it's not really fully described yeah. because you see it in the movie, but I don't know that you even read it in the book. Yeah, because like, like we're from Harry's perspective, so yeah, I feel like Hermione and Ron just might just be like, "Oh, Dumbledore saved you." Um, wow, good job, Katie. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so then the book moves on to talk about ancient broom games that like were sports that some of them kind of had parts that evolved into quidditch and some of them are just not really practiced anymore um the first one talked about is the annual broom race of sweden we love sweden Uh, it dates back to the 10th century and it's from takes place from copperberg to 
Arye plog. You took more Swedish than I did. <laughs> I think that sounds good to me. <laughs> um, I'm sure it doesn't sound that, good to Swedish people, but... <laughs> I know, I'm sorry to, to Swedish people in general. <laughs> I apologize. I was only there for four months. And so that's a 300, over 300 mile span. Um, I think Arjeplog is, I looked it on up on a map, it's like very far north in Sweden. And Copperberg is like west of Stockholm. Okay. And so the course actually goes through a dragon reservation. Um, and wizards would fly on brooms these 300 miles between the two. And like spectators would watch at the start. And then they would apparate to the ending point to watch whoever finished. Um, And it sounds like not a lot of people finished because it goes through a dragon reservation. Um, And the trophy is shaped like a Swedish short snout. My favorite kind of dragon. And it's now er, evolved into an international competition. The next game is Stitch Stock, which was an ancient German game that involved an inflated dragon bladder that was tied to a 20-foot-high pole. These are all very strange. (laughs) I just want to make that point. Um, So one player is the bladder guardian and is also tied to the pole and must protect the bladder. And other players have sharpened points on their broomstick and are trying to pop the bladder. The bladder guardian can, like, use magic to defend um, the bladder. And... This died out in, like, the 14th century because it doesn't, like, the game has no, the only end to it is when the bladder is popped, the bladder guardian dies from exhaustion or, like, collapses from exhaustion or the bladder guardian has, like, like, stunned or whatever or defeated all of the people trying to poke the bladder. Okay. (laughs) The next game... Oh, is in Irish. <laughs> it's an Irish game. And it, like many Irish words, it, or Celtic words, it, like it has, or Gaelic, I don't know. Gaelic I think Irish or Gaelic is acceptable. Yeah. Um, it has many extra letters and vowels. <laughs> it's like, Eingingen. Yeah, that's close enough. Does it not have like a pronunciation in the book? No. What? <laughs> It's spelled A-I-N-G-I-N-G-E-I-N. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to so try and say that like again. there's four different letters in it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like repeat. Yeah. <laughs> so in this game, players would take the dom, which is a ball, aka a goat bladder, and have to fly through a series of burning barrels in the air on stilts and then throw the ball through the last barrel. So it's kind of like an obstacle course. Um, they do this one, out, one at a time. The fastest time wins. And players usually caught on fire doing this. <laughs> the next game I also can't pronounce because it's Scottish. And it also has a lot of extra letters. Creothkin? Creothkin? I can't. Is, do you think the C is a S or a K? I have no idea. Neither do I. It's spelled <laughs> C-R-E-A-O-T-H-C-E-A-N-N. So if we have any Scottish listeners, you could let us know how you would pronounce that. Send us a that. voice memo. <laughs> um, it was the most dangerous of the ancient broom games. Mm. Um, and 
players would strap a cauldron onto their head, and then when the game started, up to 100 boulders and rocks that had been hovering 100 feet overhead began to fall to earth. And then the players would fly around and try and catch as many rocks as possible in their cauldrons. And I would presume try and dodge the boulders. I don't think they tried to catch those. Um, yeah. So there were a lot of fatalities. <laughs> it was popular in the Middle Ages, um, but due to how many people died playing it, as you would expect, it was made illegal in 1762. I bet um, wizards from that generation had some serious CTE problems that the yeah. real people or not muggles are dealing with right now. Yeah, from football. Yeah. <laughs> it's the football of the wizard. Basically. <laughs> Except they were smart enough to change it or ban it before it got really yeah. bad. Subtle day at football. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, the next one is shunt bumps, which originated in Devon, England. And it was all, it doesn't really say much about it. It just says it's a form of jousting where you just try and knock the other players off their brooms and the last player on his or her broom is the one that wins um and it's really just played as a children's game nowadays i imagine like with that small broomstick we hear about that harry got like that only goes like two feet off the ground yeah so the kids don't actually get seriously injured it sounds like a like a red rover kind of thing you know like those like childhood games that are like actually dangerous but super fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) how many how many kids broke their arms playing red rover like dislocated Um, an elbow or shoulder or something probably a lot (laughs) blew out a knee yeah um i feel like i would imagine the weasleys playing this oh for sure like fred and george yeah 100% Fred and George just like knocking off <laughs> <laughs> um okay and then the last game is Swiven Hodge which is from Herefordshire a county in England probably pronounced that incorrectly too <laughs> um and in this game it's kind of like tennis on broomsticks so they like batted a pig's bladder back and forth over a hedge and you would use the end, the brush end of your broom to hit the platter. So you would sit backwards on your broom. And it was just, like, the first person to, like, miss hitting it back um, would lose a point. Or the, the other person won. And then you played to, like, 50 points or something. So sounds like tennis. It's still played in England. Um, but it's not nearly as popular as Quidditch. Which brings us to the game from Quidditch March. Marsh. Queer Ditch Marsh, um, which evolves to be Quidditch, and that's where the name Quidditch comes from. So what we know about this game, um, the first mentions of it in history are by Gertie Kettle, who is a witch that lived on the edge of the marsh in the 11th century, and she kept a diary about the people across the march, marsh. God, I can't. I keep saying March. <laughs> playing early, playing an early form of Quidditch. So she observes. She was like very annoyed with them because they kept like their ball kept ending up in her garden and all these things. She sounds like a grouchy old lady. Yeah. Um. But so she observed that they used a leather ball, which we can assume, presume is the quaffle, and they used a leather ball because it was hard to throw an inflated bladder with accuracy. Um as we saw the other games used inflated bladders. <laughs> and then players would try to stick the leather ball in trees at either end of the marsh. So that can be thought to be like scoring a goal. 
um, which would later be replaced with the the pickets. Is that what they're called? I don't know. The goalposts. Did it call yeah, it the hoops. hoops. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's goalposts. Oh yeah. They um, and the early bludgers were two enchanted rocks. Ugh. So sounds even worse than nowadays bludgers. And then in the 12th century, a wizard named Goodwin Neen, Keen Neen, from Yorkshire wrote to his Norwegian cousin Olaf, <laughs> um, and he t- was talking about games of Quidditch that he had played, um, and he mentions catchers, players called catchers, which we would think to were early forms of chasers, um, and he talks about blooders, which were the bludgers. And beaters with clubs. The goals are barrels on stilts. And the snitch was not yet part of the game. So it was a better form of Quidditch. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have the arrival of the golden snitch. Um, So the snitch didn't get added to Quidditch until the mid-13th century. Um, And we learn about snidget hunting, um, which was a very popular uh, sport from the early 1100s and snidgets or the golden snidget is a now protected species of bird that was common in northern europe at the time um muggles weren't able to detect this species because it was good at hiding and very fast and also very small uh, i think the size of a walnut they say and it snidget hunting the sport led to many muggle broomsticks broomstick sightings so they would see the wizards like chasing after well, they couldn't see the snidget, but that's what the wizards would do. Um, and snidget hunting in Quidditch cross paths in 1269 at a game attended by Barbarous Bragg, who was the chief of the wizards' council. So Bragg bought, brought a caged snidget to the match, and he told the players that 150 galleons would be awarded to the player who caught it during the course of the game. Because um, it was very hard to catch snidgets, it was seen as like a prestigious thing, um, and they were... I think also seen as, like, it was pretty expensive. Like, you got a lot for catching them. Um, and they were normally killed when they got caught because they're the size of a walnut, walnut. So I think they would just get crushed in the oh. person's hand. <laughs> um, so then Madame Modesty Rabnot was in attendance at this Quidditch game. And she wrote to her sister Prudence that... She had been at the game and felt so bad for the Snidget because all of the players had decided just to not play Quidditch at all. They were just chasing the Snidget around, trying to get that 150 galleons. Um, so she felt so bad that she like marched out onto the pitch and she yelled at um, Bragg to stop the game and let the Snidget go free. And when she was pushed away and told to like stop, like you're ruining all the fun, she summoned the Snidget um, and ran off to set it free, and she was fined 10 galleons for this, which she mentions, like, totally cleans her out of anything she's ever owned. It's kind of sad. So, but from that point on, golden snidget hunting was added to Quidditch, um, where one player on each team was designated to catch the snidget, and it was basically the same rules as with the snitch. You would get 150 points, Um, in reference to the 150 galleons that this guy offered to whoever could catch it. Um, And they would keep this, the crowd would keep the snidget on the pitch by using repelling spells. Golden snidgets, um, as a result of this, became very endangered. So 
Um, eventually someone came around to put them as a protected species and then the game of Quidditch, the whole Quidditch community was like rushing to figure out what they could do to replace the golden Snidget. Um, and a man named Bowman Wright, who is from Godric's Hollow, invented the golden snitch as a replacement. Um, and it was a ball that mimicked the behavior and flight patterns of the Snidget. It was walnut size and the exact weight of the Snidget. Um, and he bewitched it to stay in the boundaries of the field. So the, um, crowd wouldn't have to use the repelling spells which this is important because i think in the movies they show the snitch going like outside of the boundaries of the pitch probably um it can go as high as possible i think it can go like to any height Mm -hmm. but it's supposed to stay in the boundaries of like the quidditch pitch yeah so that is how quidditch came to be it is just wild to me like how creative not only the, like, Quidditch origin story is, but, like, all those other games. Yeah. Just, like, thinking that she just thought of all of these, it's, like, wild to me. I don't know. I know. It's, like, and where do you come up with these ideas? (laughs) And, like, I mean, a lot of them are kind of, like, based on other sports that we talked about, but, Mm -hmm. like, the one of, like, rocks falling from the sky and, like, them having (laughs) cauldrons on the top of their head trying to catch them, like, that's, who would have thought of that? (laughs) It feels like it's, like, a video game. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's just crazy to me. I don't have that level of creativity. But. (laughs) Yeah, I really... That story, it's, like, a really good origin story. Yeah, I think it's cool. And the whole, like, the snidget... Like, the snitch wasn't part of Quidditch. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the different teams that are part of the Irish-English Professional Quidditch League. So they're in alphabetical order, so I'm just going to run through them. So the first one that we hear about is the Appleby Arrows. Um, they're a team based out of northern England. Their colors are pale pale blue and silver. Um, and so I'll like... Oh, some of them don't have locations, but for the ones that we given that we were given, I have those, and then all the colors, and then like there's always kind of like a fun fact about the team or like a funny occurrence about the team. Um, so I'll read those too. So for the arrows, they used to have a tradition where they shot arrows out of their wands um, whenever they scored, but this practice was banned in 1894 by the Department of Magical Games and Sports because an arrow once pierced a referee through the nose and they're big rivals with the Wimborne wasps which i will discuss when i talk about the wasps at the end of the at the end or the end the end of the section yeah they're the last one so the first and the last one give you a little uh what's it called never mind (laughs) next are the ballycastle bats so they're a northern ireland team their colors are black and scarlet and their mascot is Barney the Fruit Bat. And Barney's used in a lot of butterbeer advertisements. Um, and his tagline is, I'm just batty about butterbeer. Why does the fruit bat drink butterbeer? There's no, no idea. fruit in butterbeer. I have no idea. Um, the next one is a Welsh word. I think it's carefully. Can you guys tell we're Americans? (laughs) Catapults. So, like I said, they're a Welsh team. They were founded in 1402. Their colors are light green and scarlet. 
It's a weird combination. Yeah, it's very Christmassy. Um, one of their star players, Dangerous Die Llewellyn, I know how to pronounce that from the crown, thank you, um, was eaten by a chimera once when he went on holiday in Greece. And now at the end of every season, <laughs> yeah, at the end of every season, the Dangerous Die medal is awarded to the player who took the most exciting or foolhardy risk during a game. That's funny. The next are the Chudley Cannons, um, Ron's favorite team. So their colors are orange. Just orange. I think like orange and brown maybe. I don't know. Uh, I feel like, yeah, it's like brown or black. Yeah. Um, They've won the league 21 times, and their motto was all quite a while ago. They're not very good now, as evidenced (laughs) by their motto change. So their motto was changed in 1972 from we shall conquer to let's all just keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. (laughs) Uh, i wonder why ron was a chudley cannons fan yeah i don't know maybe like Like, i don't see mr weasley as like a big sports guy so i don't know that it'd be like well maybe it's located near yeah that's what i was gonna say like i don't know where it's located so maybe it's like near them or maybe like bill was a really big chudley cannons fan and then just like trickled down to ron i don't know yeah i don't know why bill would be either yeah because they were both like born too late for the glory days um so next is the foul mouth falcons they're called foul mouth foul myth foul myth yeah there's a town in maine oh okay sorry at least we know we got one right (laughs) falcons their colors are dark gray and white um they're known to have a hard style of play and this is in part due to their beaters um from 1958 to 1969 they were brothers kevin and carl broadmore um together carl with a k yeah they're both k um (laughs) together they were suspended no less than 14 times and their motto is let us win but if we cannot let us break a few heads so i'm really a fan of the mottos (laughs) the next is the hollyhead harpies They are also based out of Wales. Their colors are dark green and gold, and they've only ever hired witches, so it's an all female team. And then there's this tidbit that I just love that I'm going to read from the book. Okay, so it says The Harpies' defeat of the Heidelberg Harriers in 1953 is widely agreed to have been one of the finest Quidditch games ever seen. Fought over a seven day period, the game was brought to an end by a spectacular snitch capture by Harpy seeker Glynis Griffiths. The Harriers' captain, Rudolph Brand, famously dismounted from his broom at the end of the match and proposed marriage to his opposite number, Gwendolyn Morgan, who concussed him with her clean sweep five. <laughs> Wait, as a result of. The proposal. Yes. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah, so I just love that. I thought I'd read that straight from the book because I think it's gold. This is dark green and gold. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering when Ginny played for the Harpies, like they're based in Wales. Mm. Did her and Harry move to Wales? Maybe she just like, I mean, a lot of like. She commuted. Yeah, I mean, a lot of athletes just like live there over the season too. So maybe she just mm. lived in Wales during the season. Yeah. And she could apparate. So she could also just, like, yeah, come like back her. kind of whenever she had a day off really quickly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Quidditch schedules or their practice schedules. So How intense professional Quidditch is. Yeah. Um, next are the Kenmare Kestrels. They're an Irish team. Their colors are emerald and yellow. And they're known for their spirited displays by their mascots, which are leprechauns. And we get a little bit 
a taste of leprechaun spiritedness in the Quidditch World Cup that we see. Uh, the Montrose Magpies, their colors are black and white. They are the most successful team in the history of the British and Irish League. They've won the league 32 times. And a previous seeker, Eunice Murray, once petitioned for a faster snitch because the one that they used was too easy for them. <laughs> okay. Okay, Eunice. Okay. <laughs> um, the next is the Pride of Portree. They're from the Isle of Skye. Their colors are deep purple and gold. And so the son... So there's like... The father of Megan McCormick, who is the current keeper, I believe, or at least the current one when the book was written, was a former Pride of Poetry chaser. And then Megan McCormick's son, so like the grandson of the original chaser, is the lead guitarist for the Weird Sisters. Wait. What? So The grandson of the keeper. No, no, no. So... I didn't write this down. Hold on. Let me just read it. I'm looking at the book. (laughs) I didn't write it all down. So their most famous chaser, Catriona McCormick, captained the team to two league wins in the 1960s. And then her daughter, Megan, is the current keeper of the team. And then her son is the lead guitarist of the Weird Sisters. So instead of going on to be a keeper, he... Became a guitarist. Correct, yes. Pursued art instead of sport. Yeah. Um, Next is Puddlemere United. They were founded in 1163, so they're the oldest team in the Quidditch, a British and Irish Quidditch League, which is like, when you think about the timeline of the founding of Quidditch, that's like really early on. Well, yeah, that's before, 1163 is before the snitch, like 100 years before the snitch was added. Yeah, that's crazy. Their colors are navy blue and gold, and their anthem is Beat Back Those Bludgers Boys and Chuck That Quaffle Here, which famous recording artist Celestina Warbeck has recorded. Um, Katie's favorite artist. Yeah. As, as far as we know, really the only artist in the Wizard Well, besides the Weird Sisters. Um, Can you hear that at... Yeah, it's played in the Three Broomsticks in Orlando. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's recordings of it online, too. And I think Celestina probably, because there's, like, a, a person that sings for, like, Celestina songs. I'm mm-hmm. sure that's one that she, like, sings on stage, too. The next is the Touchill Tornadoes. Their colors are dark blue and sky blue. Um, and oh, I like that combo. Yeah. Their seeker, Roderick Plumpton, holds the record for the fastest snitch catch in three and a half seconds. So, Damn. pretty good. And then... Am I being crazy, or is that the team that Cho supports? Ooh, you. I think you're right. Because I think that, like, because Ron Astor, because she, like, has, like, a like a light blue, like, tee or something on her robes. And he, like, blame he, like, excuses her of being, like, a bandwagon fan. And she's like, well, I've been a fan since I was a kid. I'm looking it up. Sorry, mate. Yep. She became a great fan of a great Quidditch fan at the age of six and cheered for the Touchill Tornadoes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> for personality traits on, on the wiki, it says she was also loyal and brave, having been loyal to the Touchill t- Tornadoes for many years as opposed to jumping the bandwagon. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, the next team is the Wigtown Wanderers. Their colors are blood red and silver. So the original team, when this um, team was founded, was a team of seven siblings, four boys and three girls. And their father was the local butcher. So during games, he would stand there with his cleaver in one hand and his wand in the other hand, and it would intimidate the other team. And this is why their logo is a meat cleaver. And their colors are blood red and silver. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so then lastly, the Windborn Wasps. Their colors are black and yellow. Um, and they're said to get their name from an instance when they were playing the Applebee Arrows. A Wasps player, I don't know what they were previously called, a Wasp player noticed a Wasp's nest in the um, near the field and he like hit it towards an Applebee Arrows player. And the player was so badly stung that they were forced to retire that match um so that's where they get their name from and now their fans buzz really loudly to distract the other team whenever um opposing teams chasers take penalties Hmm. so and this is what ludo played yeah ludo played for the wasps he was a chaser beater Beater? oh that's right beater Beater, yeah because he's supposed to be like a big guy yeah but yeah, so those are the teams in the British and Irish Quidditch League. That's so fun. I like reading about that. Yeah. Again, so creative. Yeah. Okay, so the next section, I'm going to talk about all the different types of brooms that we know of. Um, kind of like the old ones going up to what we know today. So the first one that's talked about is the oak shaft 79 it was invented by or produced by elias grimstone and it was created in 1879 that's where the name comes from it had a very thick oaken handle and good endurance for flying and high winds but it was never really used for quidditch because it was so like heavy um, that you couldn't move that quickly or turn that quickly but it was used in the first ever Atlantic broom co- crossing by Yokunda mm. Sykes in 1935. Um, and I think before this, because you can't really operate that far of dif- distances, um, wizards mostly traveled by boat, which we see Newt doing in 1926 um, in the first Fantastic Beasts. So then we have the Moon Trimmer. Um, made by Gladys Boothby in 1901 and it was much better for Quidditch than the oak shaft. It was slender, a slender broom with an ash handle um, and used for Quidditch because it wasn't so cumbersome and it could achieve very great heights. After that we have the silver arrow which was developed by Leonard Jukes um, and this was able to go much faster than the moon trimmer so it was preferred by some for that and it could go up to 70 miles per hour with a tailwind um which is pretty fast yeah. i would not want to be on a broom no <laughs> moving that fast with like you're really just like up there alone on that yeah stick <laughs> the clean sweep series brooms came next and till this point Demand had far outstripped supply because single wizards made the brooms, Mm. but the Clean Sweep series was started by brothers Bob, Bill, and Barnaby Ollerton, and this was the Clean Sweep Broom Company, and this was in 1926, they released their first broom, the Clean Sweep 1, 
and it was an instant success, and every team had them. Um, in the series, we know Fred and George used clean sweep fives, and Ron got a clean sweep 11 from his parents when he became prefect, and that ends up being the broom that he rides um, when he's the Gryffindor keeper. The Comet series brooms was the um, big competitor to clean sweep. So this was started in 1929, just three years after clean sweep. And it was started by Falmouth Falcons players, Randolph Kitch and Basil Horton. And the Comet 140 was their first broom. And it said that it's a 140 because they tried 139 models before it. Wow. <laughs> um, and this was um, well-liked because it had a braking function, which I think was the first hmm. time that was used. So it would stop. Um, you could stop from like going into the goalposts or <laughs> being caught offside or something. <laughs> um, and show wrote a Comet 260. But we know that that couldn't compete at all with Harry's Fireball. So, poor Cho. Um, <laughs> Tonks also flew a 260, a Comet 260 with the advance guard at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix. The Tinder Blast came next, and that was created by Ellerby and Spudmore. These names are so strange. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it came out in 1940, and it was created by... Um, it came from the Black Forest in Germany, and it was never, never very fast. So the same company followed followed up the Tinder Blast with the Swift Stick, and it was faster, but it lost power in ascent. So it was also ne- never very popular. Then we get the Shooting Star, which I feel like we hear a lot about in the series. It was developed by Universal Brooms Limited and was the cheapest broom on the market to date um, in 1955 when it came out. It was initially really popular because it was so cheap, but it lost speed and height with age, so kind of died down in popularity because people realized it wasn't going to last them that long. And the business went out um, went out of business in 1978. So Ron had a shooting star before he got a clean sweep 11, and I think he's like riding it like one summer when Harry, Fred and George are, and Ron are all playing Quidditch and it's like the butterflies like outpaced him. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, if the company went out of business in 1978 and this was in like the early 90s, like that was an old broom. Yeah. Like it was probably like Arthur's. Yeah, probably. Um, so these were the brooms used for flying lessons at Hogwarts. And Harry had to use one in a practice when his Nimbus 2000 was destroyed um, after it, like, ended up in the Whomping Willow. Yeah. Um, and they were like, Harry, you need to get a new <laughs> So that's when he gets the fireball in the middle of the school year, not at the end, like True. the movie shows. Yeah. That's, like, such a huge plot point. Yeah. of the book, I feel yeah, like. Because like, it's, like, her- the reason that Hermione and Harry and Ron are fighting. Yeah. <sighs> the end of Prisoner of Azkaban just... Don't get me started. That stupid... Fr- Why? Because... The stupid freeze frame at the end. Oh, yeah. You mean the very end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw a tweet recently. It was, like, I can't believe they ended a movie with this shot. <laughs> It's so bad. <laughs> so funny. Uh, it's also like the same scene as when he ri- rides um, Buckbeak for the first time. Yeah. 
you know I don't know oh my god <laughs> um and then okay so after the shooting star the next like big thing to hit the market was the Nimbus series um so the company was formed in 1967 and they released the Nimbus 1000 um, and it was like totally new, like unlike anything that had been on the market before, because it could reach speeds of a hundred miles per an hour. Per hour. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And it could turn 360 degrees at a fixed point in midair, which is kind of cool. Um, they were seen as the best for like many years. And Harry, we know, had a Nimbus 2000, and the Malfoys by 2001s for all of the Slytherin players in Chamber of Secrets. Um, then as, like, intent to replace the Nimbus was the Twigger 90, which is just not, like, not a good <laughs> name. It was developed by Flight and Barker in 1990, um, and they wanted to, like, beat the Nimbus out to be the market leader, but it, and it had a lot of gimmicks, but it was not good quality. It warped under high speeds. So it's said that it's flown by wizards with more galleons than sense. Ooh, burn. Okay, we're getting there. <laughs> so next up, the Firebolt, um, developed by Randolph Spudmore. And it was first produced in 1993. We see Harry um, in Prisoner of Azkaban when he's at Diagon Alley, just like looking at it every day. Oh, and the and price was, is only upon request, so you know yeah. it's expensive. <laughs> you know it's expensive. Does he ever ask the price? I don't think so, because I don't think he ever goes inside. He just stands in the window. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. I could just be picturing him from, like, the first movie where he's, like, up against the window. Nimbus 2000! Um, so it was the fastest at its time of production, and we see both the Bulgarian and Irish teams are playing on them in the 94 World Cup. It can go 0 to 150 miles per hour in 10 seconds. <laughs> um, and it has an ebony handle, and you can get it with either birch or hazel twigs. And Harry gets one in his third year, and he's the only person at Hogwarts with one. But then it's destroyed in the Battle of the Seven Potters. Do you think he buys another one? For sure. Do you think he buys one for Ginny? I don't know. Because I could see Ginny also just, like, getting one herself. Like, I... Do you think that professional Quidditch players have to buy their brooms? No. You know? Because it talks about, like, how, like, all... Like, everyone yeah, on the this team has team the same one. That. Yeah. So she might have also just, like, gotten one. After. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he did. Like, I, I think he would. <laughs> Be a cute kid. Like, maybe before she made a team. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so then, the other one... Wait, I have a question. That, Sorry. Yeah. Did Ginny go back to Hogwarts? Because she was a year younger than them, so she hadn't even taken her... Yeah, she had another year left, so she had to go back. Well, I mean, so did Ron and Harry, and they didn't go back. Like, she would have had to gone back for, like, her sixth and seventh year, right? Because she didn't finish the sixth year. Yeah, I don't really know what they did. I assume, I always pictured, because we know that Hermione went back to do her seventh yeah. year, right? So I always pictured, like, Hermione and Ginny doing their seventh year together. Yeah. So do you think they just, like, 
just erased that year. Like, the schooling at Hogwarts is so weird. It's, like, really not focused on the kids' education. No. (laughs) Well, because it's, like, you hear about, like, Hermione passed her second year when she was, like, petrified for a hot sack of it. Like, months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And Colin, too. Like, I think I would assume Ginny went back for at least one year. Yeah. Like, to finish. Yeah. Because she was at. She was she at Hogwarts there. until Christmas, right? Is that what it is? Or is it my... Cause she, and then she didn't go back. Yeah. I don't know. I'm confused because in... I'm getting it mixed up because in the movie, she's there. Yeah. But I think she's with her parents. Like, I don't think she goes back after Christmas break. Yeah, because in the book, when they get there, I don't know that she's already there. I think she shows up later. Yeah, right? she shows up later. Because Ron... Cause she, yeah, yeah, she shows she wow words. She shows up later because Ron makes that comment of like, "No big deal, I'm just your brother." Because Jenny yeah. just like runs up with Hugs Harry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, that aside, don't. <laughs> um. So the blue bottle was a broom that was like designed for family use so you just like multiple people could ride it it was like a car i imagine like a station wagon (laughs) um and we know about this because it was advertised in the 1994 Mm. quidditch world cup so it has nothing to do with quidditch but i just thought it was funny and it has an anti-burglar buzzer it's pretty i don't i feel like it would be pretty easy to steal a broom yeah you know it's um and then we learned a lot about the 2014 quidditch world cup um through writings on pottermore that no longer exist rip um and katie's going to talk about the world cup in a minute but we do learn about some brooms that have like come onto the market since like the past 20 years yeah um so bulgaria rides the firebolt supreme um the united states rides star sweeper 21s um, Nigeria rides the Thunderbolt 7. Brazil rides Verapidos. I think it's like in Portuguese, so I don't really know how to pronounce it. And then Japan rides the Yajirushi. I also can't pronounce that. <laughs> um, but it sounds like like in the 24 years or in the 20 years since the previous World Cup that we like see happen, um, a lot more brooms have come on the market and as like competition for the fireball i was just trying to figure out how often the quidditch world cup occurs so the one in 90s 90- every four years okay i was i, would assume, I was getting ready like to it's do math. soccer yeah because it's this is 20 years later so that would be like yeah because the one in but they probably didn't have one in 98 because the well the one in 94 was the 422nd and this one's the 427th yeah, so it's every four years. Yeah. Okay, so like Audrey said, we do have quite a bit of information about the ni- two, 2014. Wow, I almost said 1994 again. The 2014 <laughs> Quidditch World Cup because J.K. Rowling was real-time releasing um, articles by Ginny and Rita um, on Pottermore. So, like I said, this was the 427th World Cup. It was held in Argentina in the Patagonian Desert. 
16 countries qualified, Brazil, Bulgaria, Chad, Fiji, Germany, Haiti, Ivory Coast, Jamaica, Japan, Liechtenstein, New Zealand, Nigeria, Norway, Poland, U.S., Wales. No Ireland. Yeah. Um, I really like the, like, diversity of the countries. Like, it's not all, like, Britain. It's not all, like, U.S. Yeah, England isn't even in it. Yeah. There's, like, like, Haiti. I would not have expected that. There's, like, a few teams from, like, each corner yeah, of the world. Yeah, it's, I of. like that. I, like, I don't know if, like, in qualifying, like, it kind of. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's how, like, the World Cup works. Um, so the two highest ranked teams coming in were Nigeria and Norway. Um, and this was one of the first years that it was, like, that the USA really was considered a real contender in the tournament. Um, they previously never really had Moldova was the previous World Cup winner but they didn't even qualify and this was blamed on an outbreak of dragon pox that occurred in their training camp um Hmm. so that's rough for Moldova um (laughs) sorry Crum came out of retirement he had previously retired I believe in 2002 after that World Cup, but he came out of retirement to play in this one. He was like 34, I think, like in his 30s. He was like really old. He was like really old. He he came back to play in this World Cup, and then presumably he'd retire again. Haiti, um, and so then there are some controversies that were detailed. So Haiti was accused of using Inferi to intimidate other teams, Um, They denied it, obviously. The Polish seeker was accused of being the Italian seeker in disguise. (laughs) Oh, because Italy didn't make it. Yeah. So maybe, like, the Italian team had, like, a really good seeker and the Polish team didn't. They, like, hired him. I I don't know. (laughs) And then... That'd be pretty easy to do. You could just take Polish. Yeah. Honestly. I'm sure there's, like, like, drug testing kind of things for that. Potion yeah, because there was that. Well, there was that water at Gringotts that. Oh yeah. Like yeah. What, what do they call it? Truth Falls or something like that. The waterfall of truth. No, um, liars defeat. Yeah, oh, liars downfall. Defeat. Liars downfall. Downfall. Yeah. yeah, thieves. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> it took us a while. We got there. <laughs> and then the last one is the Brazilian manager was quoted calling the Welsh team tasteless hags. And Gwenoch Jones was quoted saying that she would curse his face off. Um, and Gwenoch Jones was the um, manager for the Welsh team. Wasn't Gwenoch Jones, don't we know that, like, she she was, like, a player while Harry was... Yeah, I think she was captain of the Holyhead Harpies, I believe. Okay, Because yeah. we see, like, it, she's on, like, uh, Slughorns. Right, right, yeah, he, that's the name. Like, Alter that's or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to quickly, like, run through the games that were played. So in the first round, Norway beat the Ivory Coast 340 to 100. Bulgaria beat New Zealand 410 to 170. Japan beat Poland 350 to 140. Nigeria beat Fiji 400 to 160. The U.S. beat Jamaica 240 to 230. Nail-biter. Seeker coming in. Yeah, seriously. Liechtenstein beat Chad 470 to 330. Brazil beat Haiti 100 
Haiti was disqualified, I guess, during the course of the game. Let me see if I can pull up. <laughs> oh, was that the infuriating Yeah, it might, it might have been. Let me see if I can pull up the writing about that game. The third match between Brazil and Haiti took place on the 15th of May, 2014. Brazil won the match 190 following Haiti's disqualification for an illegal capture of the snitch. Oh, like by a different I, player? Yeah, let me see. Like by not the secret. Yeah, so the the snitch... Okay. In spite of Brazil's narrow lead in the fourth hour, many felt that the Haitian side was outplaying the Brazilians. When Blancourt hit Haitian seeker Sylvian... Holocure? <laughs> it was within inches of catching the snitch with one of his poorly aimed bludgers and knocked him out cold. The snitch then flew up Blancourt's sleeve. The beater wrestled the snitch out of his undergarment and held it up triumphantly in a clear violation of the rules of the game. Haiti was instantly disqualified. <clears throat> so following the match... So the, the beater caught it. Yes. Okay. Wait, what team is Blondcourt on? I'm so confused. Outplaying the Brazilians when Blond, yeah, because Blondcourt hit Haitian seeker, so he's a Brazilian. The snitch flew up Blondcourt's sleeve. The beater wrestled the snitch out of his undergarments and held it up triumphantly. But I thought he was a Brazilian player. How would he get? How would Haiti get disqualified? Because he. I don't know. Oh. Blancourt was a really bad beater and hit his own seeker, so he's not uh, out of his. So he knocked out his own seeker, so he was like, "I gotta get yes, this." Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, and then Wales beat Germany three thirty to one hundred. So then Norway and Bulgaria played, and Bulgaria beat Norway one seventy to twenty. So I assume that was like a pretty. Wow. It was a quick game. Because it was tied yeah, twenty to twenty, Crump and then the Crump cut the snitch. Japan oh. and Norway was supposed to be. Yeah, the Norway range. and what was it? Nigeria. Nigeria and Nigeria lost in the first round. No, oh no, they the they lost round. in the second round too. So then Japan upset Nigeria two seventy to one hundred. Then the USA beat Liechtenstein four fifty to two ninety, and then Brazil beat Wales four sixty to three hundred. So then the semifinals were Bulgaria and Japan, and USA and Brazil. So Bul- Bulgaria beat Japan six ten to four sixty. So that was a long game. The and that was also a tie game when Chrome caught. Yeah, wow. And then US beat Brazil three ten to four twenty. No, Brazil beat. Oh, US. sorry. Brazil beat the U.S. 420 to 310. And then the final was Bulgaria and Brazil. And Bulgaria won 170 to 60. So, So keep them clutch because they were losing. Yeah. So, and then I'll read a quote from from Ginny Weasley in her writing on the final game because it's, like, really cute. So, 165, (laughs) this isn't the quote. This is just talking about the end of the game 165 minutes into the final game crumb caught the snitch leading bulgaria to victory and then this is the quote from jenny 
Bulgaria won the Quidditch World Cup and Crum achieved his life's ambition on the third attempt. It looked like he might fall off his broom. Tears streamed down his face. A hugely popular win here in the Patagonian <laughs> desert, but hearty commiserations to Brazil. They led almost all the way, and in the end, it was Crum the seeker who defeated them. A stunning display of sportsmanship here as Silva and Crum embraced. Dumbledore's army seemed to approve of the victory. Harry Potter, in particular, seemed emotional, with a determined grin on his face. Ronald Weasley concealed his inevitable annoyance that his wife's ex-love is being feeded by the quidditch world young albus applauded doubtless at the prompting of his father rita skeeter was taken unaccountably ill with what are with what some are calling a hex to the solar plexus by Ginny potter meanwhile celebrations <laughs> continued in the patagonian desert for bulgaria's win against brazil 170 to 60 i just thought that was so cute that wow. harry was like so happy for crumb and like crumb was like crying because we know he's like pretty unemotional you know yeah and Ron was <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's I just cute really like funny so yeah sorry if you didn't follow the teams we might i'll maybe like we'll post a picture of this bracket maybe because it has yeah. the scores and who beat who so you guys can follow along a little bit better than just hearing me read out names and scores yeah damn that's pretty cool all right well now we don't have really have Pottermore anymore, yeah. so we'll see if we ever get that happening. Well, we already missed the next World Cup. She never did anything for 2018, so yeah. I don't think we'll ever get anything again. Unless, like, somebody's yeah. hired to do that. Like, I don't think JK will ever do it again, at least. No. No, I'm sure she will. Our last section is about the flaws in the game of Quidditch, because many people um, have pointed out that it's maybe not the best game. <laughs> Um, so the main complaints are kind of that it, it all rides on one player. Basically the seeker determines what happens. Um, and it's not really a team sport because of that. The exception to this, I would say is the 94 world cup final where crumb gets the snitch, but Ireland still wins. Um, basically crumb was like forfeiting by doing that. Um, so the cons, um, I'm just going to read from a stack exchange post um, asking, is Quidditch an inherently flawed sport? So one user, which Jeff answered um, that Quidditch is inherently flawed because it violates several impo important points of game theory. So first, all players are not similar in importance. You have six players plus one additional add-on who does not interact yet has a vital role. Um, the actions of one player can dramatically overshadow everyone else. So again, the seeker is the special, the special, special snowflake. <laughs> I'm quoting here. The length of the game is difficult or impossible to predict because games can stretch on for days or be over in seconds. And this makes it difficult to gauge the value of a seat. So like a ticket, um, is someone going to feel cheated if they pay 15 galleons for a box seat only to have the match over within 20 minutes? Will you make a profit if you sell seats at eight sickles each and they're occupied for a day and a half? How many spectators will be willing to travel to your game um, and potentially have to choose between seeing the full game and missing the next day's work or this next several days work? Because we know that games can go on for days. Um, and there are no scheduled breaks in the game. So even when they're not exerting much physical effort to move, because they're just flying on broomsticks, playing any sport will tire you out. Um, spectators need to need time to hit the bathrooms and food vendors. Players need time to regroup, take a breather, and plan strategy changes. So basically, if you're looking at it from this like 
game theory point of view, like Quidditch, highly flawed. Um, and I've always kind of thought that. I've always been like, why does the Seeker totally determine everything? But then I was reading around some more and I found a post on Quora, um, kind of the same thing. A discussion is Quidditch a flawed game. And I found one that kind of kind of changed my mind. Um, so this post is by user named Frodor and they argue that Quidditch is actually, while far from perfect, a decently balanced game. Because A, it's really easy to score with the Quaffle, and B, it's really difficult to catch the Snitch. So you kind of have like two games going on, the Quaffle game and the Snitch game. Um, they talk about how the Quaffle game is all about just keeping your team in a position to win. So you have to be just like within 150 points of the opposing team. In addition, you're trying to keep your enemy out of the winning position. The Quaffle game is really fast-paced, like a lot of back and forth, and while it may seem that the 150-point leads never happen, a really good offense or a poor defense can make it happen quickly, like as we see in the 94 Quidditch World Cup. The Snitch game is measured and slow for the majority of the game, but chases get incredibly intense. So there's a finesse to playing Seekers when your team is not in the winning position, as you don't want to catch it when your team is behind by more than 150 points. The game gets to its most interesting dynamic that keeps then the game gets to its most interesting dynamic that keeps the balance of everything. The beaters. These people really make the game interesting as beaters can assist basically any part of the game. They can defend their players or go on the offensive by targeting enemies. A snitch chase can be ended by a single well-placed bludger, and the injuries from bludgers would add up quickly and could really upset the game. As a spectator sport, it's absolutely perfect. You have the quick back and forth with the chasers, intense chases with the seekers, and the whole time everyone is dodging around metal balls hurtling around them. <laughs> and the whole thing is played hundreds of feet in the air. And then on top of everything, at least in the Interhouse Quidditch Cup, every point matters. You win if you have the most points scored in all your games combined, so you can't just sit back and let your seeker do all the work because each quaffle score is getting you progress towards the cup. And it ends the post by saying, I love Quidditch. <laughs> so that actually gave me a whole new perspective on it. Because, I mean, I always, like, loved the Quidditch scenes in the books and in the movies and everything. Like, I always thought it was super cool, but, like, thought that it was flawed. Um, and I think that maybe JK intended for it to be flawed. But I think when you look at it that way, it is cool. Because you do have these two games going on. And especially the point at the end with the Interhouse Quidditch yeah. Cup. Like that makes more sense like the chasers actually have a responsibility like to do well more so than to just like not be terrible or not be not have the other team be really good yeah like i definitely like that explanation it definitely um opened my eyes a little bit more but i think that that all sounds really nice and it's laid out and it makes sense but in practice whoever catches the snitch wins you know yeah. like you can dress it up however you want like that guy like it was very well thought out like when you think about it like that it's like oh wow it actually makes sense but then if you actually like pay attention to a quidditch game or like see a quidditch score or like the play-by-play -play, it still doesn't change the fact that whoever catches the snitch wins yeah you know definitely. like i like the premise and i think that a way that it could have like I don't know, because it, it's, like, a delicate balance between, like, catching the snitch has to be a good enough reward that, like, the seeker still tries to catch the snitch. I'm, like, let a, mm -hmm. 
like it kind of ending the game also adds to that effect like no matter what the seeker will probably try and catch the snitch at some point but also like not too big like I think this reward is a little bit too big like maybe if it was like a hundred I don't know I was gonna say like even 50 yeah and then like if there was some way for the I'd like the like it's kind of quirky that like games can go on forever but I think there needs to be like some other end to the game you know like maybe there's a max score you can get Mm, to yeah so like even if your seeker doesn't catch the snitch like say it probably would have to be higher than 200 but say the like the first team that would if either you catch the snitch or you went um hit 200 like if you score 20 goals on your own like your chasers score 20 goals and you can do that before the other team seeker catches the snitch like i feel like that makes the the chaser part of the game really more exciting. Yeah, I think there's, like, I think the premise of Quidditch, and, like, obviously his points about it being, like, a great spectator sport and, like, an exciting sport, like, I agree with yeah, that definitely. for sure. Because, yeah. like, I really like the point he makes that, like, even though, like, the end goal is to catch the snitch, like, you're not just watching the seeker, like, float around aimlessly. Like, there's yeah. something for you to watch. You need something yeah. else to watch. Instead, yeah. like, I really like that point. But I just, I think that, like, in, on paper, it's, like, that explanation, like, made it seem really nice. But, like, in action, it's literally just whoever catches the snitch wins. So I think either making the snitch be, like, 100 or, like, 80 points. Or mm-hmm. making the, like, max, like, if you score 500, mm-hmm. like, you win or something like that. And that would get, like, kind of cool because, like, say like your team's not doing very well and the other team is closing in on 500 like you're sneak you're the only way mm. you're gonna pull off a win is if your seeker catches the yeah. snitch or something you know i think that would that would add more unpredictability to it yeah especially when you have like a really good seeker because like the way it's set up now like obviously we don't know how like all the quidditch teams work but like what's to stop like the club from just like going and like paying a shit ton of money to get the best seeker out there like to get crumb on their team and then they like don't even really have to like find good other players you know yeah i don't know it's like a very interesting game and like i think from like a standpoint of like a really big sports fan and someone who like went to college studying sports (laughs) like i can tell that jk rowling isn't a big sports fan you know yeah no you can definitely you can tell that in like the creation of the game and also like everybody talks about how she like hated writing quidditch scenes in the book because it's just so much of like harry did this and then this happened and then like it's not like a very like fun thing to write and like i understand that but people loved reading quidditch scenes so yeah i don't know it's yeah i mean i like it for its i like it's for for its purpose but also realize that it would just be very frustrating to be like a chaser on a team that doesn't have a good seeker yeah you know yeah oh for sure well I mean but you could also like I don't think a seeker really like I think a seeker is obviously more important than like a goalie in any sport but like you could kind of compare it to that like if a team just has like a terrible goaltender but like they have really good offense it's like but or like I think normally offense can make more of a difference than a chaser can in a quidditch game like what if you think in terms of like soccer or hockey like they can score enough if they're really that good Right, yeah. I like it's like um I played keeper like for a large portion of my life in soccer yeah. and 
it was really frustrating when you were on a team that couldn't score yeah. because then it's just like, okay, well, I'm playing to get my team a tie. Yeah. Right. And then if I let in one goal, like, oh, we're probably. Yeah. Like lose. you're playing to like give your team a chance to win kind of thing. Right. But I'm not playing to yeah. win the game for my team. I'm playing to, to give them a chance. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Two sports fans here. Don't worry. Don't, don't mind us. <laughs> Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. For today's pop quiz, the question is, who is your favorite Quidditch player or team? Like, I think Quidditch player, we should limit it to, like, Hogwarts Quidditch player. Because, right. like, us, like, picking a random That's player. That's what I was saying. But then, like, I, wanna, I want your favorite, like, uh, British-Irish League team. Okay. So... I feel like the really easy answer for both of us is Ginny and Holly and Harpies. So I'm going to put a stipulation that, like, we're going to accept that those are probably our favorite Okay, players. I was going to pick a different team anyways just because I knew that okay. you were, if not, I was, you were going to say Holly had Harpies. So. Well, I was going to say, like, they definitely are my yeah. favorite team, but I was going to pick a different one anyway. Yeah. Um, which, now I have to go back and remember the name of my favorite team. Um, I really like the Wigtown Wanderers. Oh, okay, I like that. That, that story is really good. Yeah, I like that it was, like, all siblings. I think that's super fun. I can imagine, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, the Weasleys would do it. Oh, like, yeah, I can there is seven of them. Like, you know, like, I think that's super cool. Um, and then Hogwarts Quidditch player. That isn't Ginny. Um, <laughs> I would have to go with probably one of the Gryffindor um, chasers, mm, yeah. like Angelina Johnson. Um, you probably have Katie back, <laughs> but I also, I also am, I'm growing to appreciate Cho Chang, yeah. um, because I think she probably actually was a good player and just like had a slow broom yeah. and she's Ravenclaw yeah. or, you know, Roger Davies could be my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay. What about you? Okay, so I was going to pick based solely off of the team's colors because there's not really much else to go off of, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know. I think that it would be really cool to be, like, an Arrows or a Wasps fan and have, like, that Mm. really, like, entrenched rivalry because that's always, like, super fun. Um, But I'm also leaning towards the Montrose Magpies just because black and white are my favorite colors, so. That's my school's colors. Oh. 
Yeah. And, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if I were a Montrose Magpies fan, though, people would just think I'm a bandwagon fan. Oh, yeah. Because they won the league 32 times, which I hate bandwagon fans. Like, I don't know if I can actually pick, but sorry, this isn't really an answer. This is just me just talking through (laughs) options. And then the other one I was thinking of is the Tuts Hill Tornadoes, just because, like, pretty colors. I don't know. Like, we know that Cho is a fan of them. Like, I don't know. And like you said, yeah. like, I'm growing to appreciate Cho a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That wasn't a very good answer. I'm sorry. Who's your Hogwarts quote? I mean, I think, like, probably either Katie Bell or, like, one of the Weasleys, just because I've always been, like, super fascinated with the beater position. Like, I think a previous pop quiz was, like, what position would you play? I think that was probably Ginny's, yeah. maybe, question, and I said beater. Um, also... How did we do a Quidditch episode and not talk about the different positions anywhere? <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about the rules either, which all of that's in Quidditch through the ages, but I was like, this could get... Oh, for Katie's Trivia Corner, late one, for the episode, there's 700 different fouls in Quidditch. Fun fact. 700. 700. Yeah, we didn't talk about any of the positions. If you've gotten to this point and you don't know what the positions are, they are keep- <laughs> one keeper, two beaters... Three chasers and one seer. They throw the quaffle around. There's some bludgers flying around. You try and catch the snitch. (laughs) We should just, uh, what's a, what does Wood say? He, like, describes Quidditch in, like, two sentences. She just, like, like, quoted that line. He's, like, four balls, like, seven players. It's really simple. Yeah. (laughs) He, like, says something like that. Um, Yeah, I feel like I should, I also want to point out like i i think i said in that pop question pop quiz question that i would be a keeper so and i do really like oliver wood so yeah he could he could be one of my favorites also um rules of muggle quidditch i do know a little bit about because i like i've mentioned before i have played it more than once um so like everybody has like a stick it's not really a broom normally you have to have one hand on it at all times at least one and it has to be between your legs at all times if for some reason you drop it or you have don't have a hand on it you have to like put it down and like run or something um they're like like but isn't that easier if you run well like you have to put it down so like you're not like a plane oh yeah so like you're not on the team it just like you're penalized for a second i think that's how it is anyways either that or that's what happens when you get hit with a bludger i think that's what happens Mm. when you get hit by a bludger actually um and there's like seven players with the same positions there's two beaters three chasers and a seeker and a keeper and like the seeker is chasing a person that has like a flag football thing so you have to try yeah that's the snitch so you have to try and like get the flag um yeah there's like hoops they're basically like hula hoops that you like throw it through and it's like really physical what are are the bludgers like they're not hard no they're just like balls so do the beaters go around and throw them yeah like so and like like I said, when you hit somebody with a beater, I'm pretty sure they have to like drop their broom right where they are, and they have to like run and like tag up to like their end, like their like sideline yeah. kind of thing, and like run back and like pick it up. So like if they have the ball, they have to drop the ball too, and then like your team can like pick it up from the ground. Okay. Yeah, and it's like like I said, it's like super physical, like real, like people who like actually play Quidditch, like there's like tackling involved. Oh, and there's also a rule that like there has to be at least two of each gender i think on the field at once so it couldn't be all girls or all guys ever uh, yeah so no hollyhead harpies. yeah no hollyhead harpies 
and I'm sure one of the teams is all male, but I just don't know which one. Like, not, like, historically, but, like, I'm sure at one point there's yeah, always a team sure, that's yeah. all male. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, fun fact. I guess that that wraps up our footage episode. If you want more information, then you should read Quidditch the yeah, Ages. Oh, speaking of that World Cup and also Muggle Quidditch, there is, like, a Quidditch World Cup every year that's played yeah. between, like, colleges. And I've heard it's, like so fun so if you're like one time it was held in North Carolina and I like really wanted to go because it, it wasn't like where I lived it, it was when I was in high school so I was living here but it was like in the state and I really wanted to go on weekend and my English teacher went and she was like talking about how much fun it was so that's funny yeah okay so um go subscribe to us anywhere you find your podcasts and download and listen to our episodes released every other Tuesday this is our first episode of 2020 um (laughs) and leave us a review rate us on apple podcasts yeah and then you can find us on facebook and instagram as wizard studies podcast or twitter as wizard studies and then you can also email us at wizard studies podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions episode ideas pop quiz ideas anything you can reach us on any of those platforms yeah I think we're doing a, an episode idea from a listener coming yeah, up. So stay tuned. Maybe it'll be yours. <laughs> All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. <laughs>